Sitting alone in the back of my father's hot car was nothing new for me. Leaving your kids or pets inside a sweltering vehicle was not frowned upon in the mid-sixties. It was regarded as more of an impromptu spa day. And thrifty man that my dad was, he was not about to leave the motor running, even on a hot day in August. Okay, I had a tendency to embellish back then. It was not August, but March. March 16th, to be exact. My half-birthday. Not quite sweet 16, but more than a quinceanera. Though those two events are significant ones, I'm aware that a a fifteen-and-a-half-year birthday is not. And to celebrate such a non-event leaves you open to much derision, as did complaining about a hot car when it's technically still winter in L.A. As did complaining about a hot planet a few years later, but let me return to 1965. If you live in the Golden State and you reach 15 and a half years of age, you're allowed to apply for a learner's permit with the Department of Motor Vehicles. Then, if you haven't killed anyone in those next six months and you yourself live to see 16, you're given a full and proper license to operate a vehicle on the streets and freeways of Los Angeles. Or in my case, Van Nuys. It's important to note that despite my father's profession and his success, we did not live in Beverly Hills, where my father's car was now parked. We lived in the valley, in a surprisingly modest home. Two bedrooms, 1,700 square feet. But my father occasionally had his indulgences, and a Beverly Hills business manager was one of them. And here my father came, document in hand, walking away from the accountant's office as one would exit a structure engulfed in flames, though it most certainly was not. This was just the way my father walked. To the mailbox? To catch a subway in Manhattan? Getting to the podium to receive his Academy Award? This Allegro philosophy was not confined to his gait. It applied to meals. I paid the check, finish up and meet me in the car. And vacations as well. That's the Grand Canyon. Grab a shot and we'll try to make the painter desert by nightfall. But on this particular day, I was quite grateful for his alacrity. Because as he jumped into the car and pulled away from the curb, He handed me the document that I needed to change my life, the document essential to all matters DMV in 1965 as it is today, my birth certificate. As we wound our way back to the valley over Coldwater Canyon, I began to really think about the nuts and bolts of the plan that my best friend Dave Goodman and I had hatched, codename Permit Me. A full driver's license at age 16 was something to aspire to. You could take your friends to the beach, to Disneyland. You could take a girl out on a date without your parents or your bus pass. And the learner's permit was not the same as it had this one serious restriction. You had to have a fully licensed adult in the car with you during those endless six months. It also had this one wonderful and largely unknown loophole. You could use your learner's permit alone and unsupervised if you're learning to drive a motorcycle. And Dave and I loved our motorcycles. To be clear, we did not own motorcycles. We intended to rent them. By the hour. There was a rental outfit at Sepulveda and Oxnard that would rent you a 90cc Japanese motorcycle if you could produce a scrap of paper known as a learner's permit. A document generated on an actual typewriter. And absent a photo of said applicant, or a California grizzly, or a prospector panning for gold, or anyone or anything that would keep us from creating the document on our own. Go figure. I don't know why they thought Valley teens would return the bikes in the absence of photo ID and a credit card. I don't know why we would have, but we always did. For guys my age, 
These noisy contraptions somehow held the promise of speed, freedom, perhaps even romance. We'd seen Steve McQueen jump that fence on his triumph in The Great Escape. Marlon Brando rode his triumph into town and into our collective psyche in The Wild One. But those were golden screen moments from the past, and Dave and I tried to remain au courant. So we were both regular customers at the Fox Theater on Van Nuys Boulevard. Hardly art house cinema, but they often ran films from avant-garde filmmakers like Roger Corman. We went multiple times to see Hell's Angels on Wheels. Not so much for the movie, but for the young actor who was in it. An actor who, like Marlon, had something unique and dangerous and wonderful going on. And like Marlon, he would go on to win multiple Academy Awards and be regarded as one of the finest actors of my lifetime. But for now, I was headed back to the valley where I belonged. And it was then that I focused on the envelope that my dad had given me. The envelope that contained my birth certificate. What did an ancient document from 1949 look like? Was it written on parchment with a quill? Did it have one of those cute little baby footprints that made being switched at birth less likely? Before I could settle those very worthy questions, a quick inspection of said document caused a new question to move to the top of my queue, and it was a doozy. Dad? Uh Uh-huh. Why is there no mother's name on my birth certificate? My dad was not much for touchy-feely exchanges. At least he didn't respond by going on the offensive with some version of none of your fucking business, which had been his default setting for such inquiries in the past. In the minus column, he didn't feel the need to immediately respond or to pull over. He just kept driving, occasionally looking in the mirror, and my immediate thought was, how could he think this wouldn't come up once I looked at the document? Had he simply forgotten that my mother's name was not on it? I knew who my mother was, Amanda Begley, nay Huff. My father and Amanda had three children before she died of cancer in 1957. My brother Tom, my sister Aileen, and me, the youngest. After what seemed like an eternity, my father finally spoke. Amanda wasn't your mother. 